Welcome to Clean Slate by Desjardins, a podcast where there are no awkward money questions. I'm Jessica Morehouse, and in each episode, we're going to be taking a look at the turning points in people's lives and exploring how young Canadians are answering those big existential questions about their journey and their finances. Some questions I'm sure you've got at home just as well. Now, it's time to go beyond the money and see how they impact everything that we do. Clean Slate is by Desjardins, a cooperative whose mission is to enrich people's lives. They are about more than just money. They are a financial institution that believes in the spirit of community. Welcome, Jamil. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. You're I'm so excited. welcome. I'm excited, too. I'm excited, too. You have such an interesting uh, story, and I feel like so many people watching, young kids or even parents who have uh, kids who are interested in putting them in sports, were, they're going to learn a lot from uh, your experience because you have the experience of being uh, you know, a, a kid going through you know, athletic programs, then becoming a pro athlete, and now you're a coach. So you've kind of seen all sides of things. So I kind of want to start with a better understanding kind of your origin story. How uh, did you eventually become a pro athlete? And was it what you expected when you first started? Wh where you ended up? Uh, well, I started playing basketball pretty late compared to most people. Mm -hmm. um, I started at the age of 13. Um, I played soccer my whole life uh, mm -hmm. prior, and I was really good at soccer. So uh, I'm almost pretty pissed when I switched over <laughs> to basketball. But um um, I had a mentor, um, somebody who actually was our babysitter at the time, my brothers and I, who he himself played professional basketball. And um, whenever, you know, we had a chance to go outside or take us to the YMCA and stuff like that, um, we would play. And just being, I guess, an athlete, you know, I was pretty fast. I could run. I could jump and do all the other things that most athletes can do at a decent level. Um, I caught on to basketball pretty quick. Um, but I also liked the competitive aspect of it because it was something new. And typically basketball is a tall person sport. Yeah. And I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> Still growing. Um, but um, a lot of people told me, you know, I shouldn't switch. I should continue playing soccer. Mm. I'm going to struggle in basketball. So I think just having all those naysayers kind of fueled me to continue to try and prove them all wrong. Mm-hmm. So it was the summer of grade nine, grade 10, where I took basketball pretty serious. And I was like, okay, I want to see how far I can get with this. And I pretty much trained every single day and tried to join teams and leagues and all that other stuff. And by grade 12, I was a four-time city all-star um, back in Ottawa. Um, I started getting some visibility from coaches um, in the city and a little bit around. And um, by grade 12, I decided to come back for a fifth year of high school um, just because I was like, I'm not sure what I want to do yet. And I thought that extra year would help me develop as a basketball player better just because I started so late. Um, so, yeah. So after my fifth year, I went to Bishop's University where I played basketball there for five years. Um, it was a lot tougher than I would have assumed and thought. Um, but, you know, during those five years, I was able to grow, develop. Um, I got into fitness a little bit. I worked on my body because I was super tiny coming into university. Like you, <laughs> for anybody going to university now, like it's probably impossible to go in like I did. I was what five, ten, hundred fifty-five pounds. Mm. Like it's pretty impossible to do that now. <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, so I knew I had to get stronger and just worked on my body and all that other stuff. By my fifth year, um, I started getting contacted by agents um, from overseas, m- typically more Lebanon, because that's where my dad is from. Um, so I'll just kind of segue a little bit here. So pro basketball has teams all over the world, like mm-hmm. in different countries. And a lot of these agents are always trying to find locals that are not typically locals like live outside yeah um that will come in and take a local spot but you're still an import so typically like the better teams in these countries have five or six imports from outside the country but they're locals because they have citizenship so they kind of stack the roster if that's Mm -hmm. kind of a better saying here um so i was getting contacted by agents just because my if you look at my name it's everyone's gonna think i'm from lebanon or from the middle east um but my dad uh, when he immigrated here to Canada, never went back to Lebanon. And I didn't really have my citizenship or anything. So something that I had to work on getting. So I eventually got it when I was there and I played for three years. Um, and while I was doing that, um, I started kind of thinking of other ways to prepare myself for what's to come after. I'm wondering, is that because once you, maybe even your experience in uh, university and, and then going pro, you're like, this is very different than what I envisioned it would be to be a pro. Like, what, what was it like and what, what did you think it would be like when you were younger? I mean, when you're younger, you think as soon as you make a pro, you're pretty much set for life. Yeah. You think you're going to be making millions of dollars and <clears throat> all the stuff that you see on TV. I mean, NBA players and they talk about their journeys or stories and Um, You never really hear about the grind and the struggles and all the craziness that happens behind the scenes, right? You only hear what, I guess, the media or what they're physically telling you. Um, So going into my first year um, and you're getting your first contract and looking at it and you're like, wait a minute, it's only like $4,000 or $5,000? Like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Right? And you're thinking like it's supposed to be like hundred thousands or more. Um, but then you quickly realize, like, depending on where you are in the world, every um, pro league has different tiers. Um, if you're playing in the top leagues, obviously that's when you're going to start making more six figures and, and higher. Um, but the lower leagues, like, there's some people who are making, you know, a thousand or even a little bit less, depending on where they're playing. But um, it's a grind, and that's what a lot of that's what a lot of athletes feel they have to go through to get there mm-hmm. but sometimes you just don't you could be playing for 9 10 11 years and you barely get to that top tier right um so i think like the whole vision growing up to what it actually was when i was finally i guess in that whole thing mm-hmm. was a lot different so when you were pro was there a point where you're like i don't know if i can get to that top tier where i'm making the six or seven figures I don't know if that's realistic. And, and that's when you kind of started putting the, you know, some, some things in motion to prepare you for kind of your next career mm-hmm. of coaching or, 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 or what, at what point were you like, Hmm, I think I need to make a plan B just in case. Well, I'm, I'm lucky that I always had a mentor. Mm-hmm. Like I said, he was my babysitter when I was 12 and I've known him pretty much now my whole life. He's like a father figure to me. And, and I guess I got to learn from some of his mistakes, but also um, him helping me kind of, um, prepare myself for what's to come and the mentor that I had kind of started telling me you know you can go play basketball for another four five six seven eight years but once you get back to town or wherever you're living you're gonna have to almost restart your life like no one really knows who you are here 
So regardless of what you've done outside, you're going to still have to network here now, build your relationship with people, um, whether it's create a business or get into a job and try to start moving up the ranks, whether it's promotions and so forth. Um, so that could take a while. Like, do you want to start your life now when you're 45 or 40? Or do you want to start now kind of building the little blocks and then when you're done, you at least have some sort of stability or foundation that you can kind of at least start to propel and push forward. Mm -hmm. So I would say probably after my first year, I started thinking outside the box. I'm like, can I still play and start something or do I got to stop completely? So I kind of was trying to do both. And I think it was after my second year where I was like, every time I leave, I come back, I got to start all over again, even though I kind of built something. But you lose like you know your clientele, the network. People don't take you seriously as well because it's like, is he just doing this for a little bit of money now and mm -hmm. not coming back? And people want that relationship and that growth with you as well, right? So um, I would say probably after my second year where I started to kind of make that shift um, and realize like I think I want to step away from it. <clears throat> and then I started realizing as well like I don't have to actually put basketball away. Mm -hmm. I'm now involved in a different way and I'm still doing what I, what I enjoy. Don't get it wrong. Like I still mm -hmm. want to play and it's, it still itches me every single day to kind of get that competitiveness. Like I play men's league and stuff here and there, but it's not the same. Yeah. You know, you wake up at nine, you go to your game and you come back home and it's yeah. that whole regimen of getting ready, preparing and all that other stuff that comes with it is what I looked forward to. Um, but now that I'm helping other kids and even adults and professional guys right now, you know, get ready for, these things that I once did is just as exciting. And I feel like this is something that was my calling, even though it may sound cliche, but um, I wake up and I enjoy every single part of it. So, well, How did you personally manage your finances to kind of make it work uh, when you were overseas? And, and what were some of the things that you saw other players do that you're like, I don't want to make that mistake? Yeah, so everyone makes a certain amount of money. Like no two players are making mm -hmm. kind of the same. <clears throat> So depending on obviously how much you're making, um, you know, you may be able to do a little bit more than somebody else, right? Um, but for me, I was just finishing school and then I went right into playing professionally. So all the money that I was getting, I was like, okay, I still have bills at home. I still got to not pay for school and all that other stuff where I wasn't able to spend um, as much money or do maybe as many things as I wanted to do when I was overseas. Um, so I think that also kind of put a little bit more into perspective mm -hmm. for me because maybe if I didn't have those bills and other things to, to pay for, I may have splurged more and uh, maybe been hurt in the long run. And then on the flip side, I, I did have teammates and stuff like that who were getting quite a bit of money. And um, I still remember, you know, the first thing they do is we get our pay at the end of the month. First stop was always um, Western Union, send money home mm -hmm. to family. Some of these guys have kids and, and wives and stuff at home. So they do that. And then on the same night, <clears throat> we would go out. And for me, going out, it might spend $100, $200. Yeah. Some of these guys are spending thousands of dollars. So that's for me where kind of like the alarming factor was, was coming, especially because after like a week or two, they were asking for like an early payment from, from, mm -hmm. from our president, our, you know, our team staff and stuff like that too. So that's where I, where I was like, you just got paid like 10 grand or 20 grand. Like, how's it gone? So I knew I definitely didn't want to do that. But then again, back to, you know, having that mentor and someone in my ear all the time. And I knew that I wanted to eventually do something or build something later. So I was like, okay, I need to put at least a certain amount, certain amount of money aside 
just so I don't run into any difficulties or issues later. And I still had to pay for a car at home. I still had to pay my school tuition and all that other stuff too. So I think that kind of helped me, but also seeing how they were kind of allocating and spending their money kind of put things into perspective for me because 10 grand sounds like a lot right now, but Mm -hmm. it could literally be gone in the same day. It sounds like you really want to make sure that the money that you did set aside would do the opposite. You didn't want to spend it. You wanted to make sure you can build it into something. And that's what led you uh, to start your own organization, Team Believe. Do you want to kind of talk about that transition when you fully, you're like, okay, I'm going to kind of set these, this, this, I'm going to set this trajectory. Oh my gosh. I can't say trajectory. That's a bad word. I'm not going to say that word. I can't even say it. When you made that decision to kind of maybe put your pro athlete aspirations on pause and go in a different direction, do a, a big pivot and start your own thing. What was that transition like? Um, I think at the transition, I thought it was going to be difficult at first, mm-hmm. but I think because I was still involved in basketball, it kind of felt like second nature. Um, so while I was still like, you know, coming back and forth from playing overseas, like I was still doing camps, clinics, I was still kind of coaching and stuff like that. So it was, so once I definitely, you know, when I stopped playing, I was like, okay, I know I want to train. I know I want to coach. How can I combine the two? I was like, I think it's time for me to, to build another organization in Ottawa. You know, we have other programs and stuff like that too, but how can I make it where they're getting, it's kind of like a one-stop shop essentially where they're getting a lot of things at once and not just basketball because eventually the basketball stops dribbling right and how can we help these young kids become men and take all these um tools and kind of help them grow and for me i was like okay so what did i need when i was younger and i was like okay so social media today is huge you know Mm -hmm. you could be a celebrity within a couple hours so I'm like, okay, so I want to involve that in my program. So all of our games are recorded. Um, we try to make highlight tapes for all of our players. Um, I'm in constant contact with coaches mm-hmm. um, all over the country trying to get our guys recruited. Um, and then what leagues can we be, be put in that they can get a lot of exposure from as well? Um, we've also added an athletic trainer. Um, we have a nutritionist. Um, eventually, you know, we're trying to tie in financial literacy and stuff like that too just because – um, you know, they're going to have to learn how to use their finances and stuff later on as well while they're in school as well. You know, they're not going to always have mom and dad there to kind of help them with their finances, whether they're getting a student loan and stuff like that, too. It's still money that's physically being put in your pocket. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I can teach them at a younger age, it's only going to benefit them later on. And not all of them are going to continue to be university athletes. Mm-hmm. Only you know a certain few eventually make it there. So how can I help the majority be better after going back to the costs um there's different sports out there different costs involved and i think um you know originally basketball used to be kind of one that was uh, a fairly easy entry point not super expensive uh compared to some other sports out there that have lots of equipment and, and things like that mm-hmm. but uh now it's getting a little bit more expensive what are some things that maybe you teach or, or talk to parents about if they want to put their kids in sports to be aware of yeah, it, get, it gets tricky um, because there are so many different factors, right? And the biggest thing that makes sports expensive, and I'll just use basketball and soccer because those mm-hmm. they're probably the least uh, equipment-based yeah. sports, um, is as you start getting higher into le- competitive levels, all the travel um, adds up. 
Well, since there's so many costs involved in like, you know, running your organization and the different programs that you run, um, you know, how do you, how do you find the money to pay for them? Like, how do you fundraise, for example, what are kind of the things that you do? So you do have, you know, the funds to pay for everything. Yeah. So at the beginning of the year, you know, after we figure out kind of how many leagues we want to be in tournaments and, you know, what we physically want to get through throughout the year, um, you know, we try to calculate everything, get a total, and then divide it by the amount of players we have. And then, you know, every single year you're going to have two or three players or even a little bit more depending on that specific year of kids that can't maybe afford the full cost or maybe half or need a payment arrangement and stuff like that too. So we know that coming into every year, right? So uh, we try to do um, events, whether it's, you know, maybe host a little three-on-three tournament or... Um, the year before COVID, mm-hmm. uh, we did kind of like raffle baskets where I got like kind of two Raptors tickets. We put in a little bit of our own team gear and, you know, we get the kids to go and sell a bunch of tickets and all that money kind of we put in a, a little pot there to help offset any cost that some of these kids can't um, afford. Um, because the last thing I want is a kid not to be able to play because they didn't have the financial means and fundraising has been something that we've definitely um look forward to every single year and we've had parents and stuff like that too who've also stepped in and you know contribute a little bit of money as well too which is always super appreciated and awesome mm-hmm. i'm curious since you mentioned uh you know it is a business now you run your own business you're on the other side of things you're not the athlete you're the person putting everything together what were some uh like how did you know all the costs that would be involved in running your own uh you know program yeah well i want to say initially like i didn't really know the exact costs you know there was a lot of trial and error with Mm -hmm. things and um i did have again that same mentor who has kind of his own programs and stuff too that i was able to kind of learn from while i was around him Mm -hmm. and see how kind of things moved and what needed adjusting or you know you may assume like it may cost this but then once you actually get into it you're like oh my god i forgot to factor in this 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 and this Mm -hmm. So um, our first year was kind of a little bumpy, Um, just kind of we didn't really factor in everything properly and uh, may have undercharged here and there. And then, you know, you kind of take a small little hit, but that's, I guess, you know, the growth of business and just learning. Um, What kind of costs like were there? Like, like what would you expect if someone like wanted to do something like you? What like what? are we talking about like uniforms Mm. and space that you have to rent? Yeah. So yeah, uniforms is definitely one and they're a lot more expensive than you think. Mm. Um, especially when you're getting them custom made and stuff like that. Um, gym rental insurance, uh, tournament fees, uh, travel costs, um, per diem for coaches. If you're paying coaches as well, um, then you add the other tangibles there. So your, you know, athletic trainer that we have, the nutritionist. Um, so all of those are media guy, so all of those people have their own fees that they want to be paid for, right, too. So you got to factor that into your team fees. How did you also within the business, like, know how much to pay yourself? Because you're, a, you know, an employee of your business. You run uh, the business. And how did you also then know how, how can I also continue to set myself up personally for success? I'm still working on that. <laughs> That's the thing. And I, and I think sometimes I may undervalue myself now but Mm -hmm. i always tell myself too that money will always come later Mm -hmm. um you know grow things now whether you have to take a little bit of a pay cut now and stuff like that too um eventually 
you know, your fruits to your labor are going to, are going to come. And that's something my mom always told me too, and stuff like that too, is like, you know, don't chase the money right now. If you're enjoying what you do, you're still getting by, continue to do what you're doing and people eventually will pay you for, Mm. for your work. So for right now, I feel like since I'm still kind of in that new phase with my growth phase, exactly. Um, I'm still taking like, I mean, if I had to factor in all the hours that I spend and mm-hmm. what I'm making at the end of the year for that, it's nowhere near, nowhere yeah. close. You know, you're just because I'm not in the gym doesn't mean I'm not doing all the other stuff. And mm-hmm. phone calls just to coaches and emails back and forth take hours on its own. Mm-hmm. So um, I think like the money stuff will come later. Um, and it's something that I've, I've told myself. I'm enjoying the process right now. Um, and... Uh, seeing the growth in itself is very rewarding. Mm -hmm. What has basketball and coaching taught you personally about managing your own personal finances? It's taught me a lot. Um, Now, because I'm on the other side of things where now, you know, I got to delegate the finances. I got to pay people. I got to pay coaches. I got to pay tournaments, leagues, um, my website, all these other things that you never really factor in, right? Um, it's taught me a lot now because I got to make sure, you know, I have the money aside for all of these bills and all of these, uh, things every month or whenever they're due. Right. So, um, learning not to, you know, spend and over budget and kind of, you know, I have like a big Excel sheet at home and I write down all these other things and try to factor in costs and see, you know, can I spend this much this month or are we going to be short or Mm -hmm. what's going to happen here? So, um, I feel like, you know, starting your own business and coaching and all that stuff has definitely helped me manage my fin- finances um, tremendously, mm-hmm. opposed to before when, you know, it was kind of just money comes in and I just splurge and do mm-hmm. what I need to do. Now I'm really particular in what I buy and what I spend and just make sure that, you know, there's always some sort of cushion somewhere. Yeah. So I think that's really, really important. And um, I think coaching has definitely helped me. Um, understand and realize how to definitely money manage better with your experience from start to finish what does success now mean to you what does financial independence mean for you personally that's a really good question um i would say you know as long as you're comfortable and you really enjoy what you're doing i think that's what matters the most you know you you could find somebody who's not as money rich but still be successful and super happy with what they're doing. And I feel like that's the most important is that can you wake up every day happy and wanting to go back to work every single day? Or are you going to be the person that has a lot of money, wakes up and are not really looking forward to going to work? So I feel like that's where the median is. And for me, I feel like I would rather get up every single day, go to work content, may not be the richest person, but I'm, happy and I can still grow in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like growth is kind of one of the biggest factors as well, because you always see like, like there's always new things to to come. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's, what's also exciting. And, um, for me, that's what I kind of feel myself on. And I know that I'm eventually going to continue to move up. And I feel like success can be something that also can be achieved in like 10 years. It doesn't have to be today. Right. So I feel like that, that to me in a nutshell is how I would kind of see success in money, I guess. See, asking questions about money isn't that embarrassing, is it? 
All you have to do is start the conversation. I made this podcast with Desjardins because they believe that you need to start early to build a solid financial mindset. Remember, good habits lead to great results. Now, there are so many interesting stories out there that can really help us answer those big questions on our minds. And it's equally important to have these conversations without any taboos or judgment. I hope you really enjoyed this episode with Jamil and you learned a thing or two. Click to listen to the next episode of Clean Slate by Desjardins, the institution who's on a mission to enrich people's lives and build community. For now, I'm signing off and I hope you'll join me for the next episode.